Good morning, everybody. Um, I'd like to start in quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, we come before you today just asking for you to open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears to not only hear my testimony, Lord, but hear the testimony of your beauty, your glory in one's life. Lord, and I just thank you for this church that's been here for me for the last six years, Lord, and uh, we praise you and love you through your name and your spirit. Amen. <clears throat> all right, as you guys all know, my name's John Bogue. I've been here for six years now. Um, I came here in, uh, oh, the scripture reading, sorry, getting ahead of myself. <laughs> all right, the scripture reading is Acts 9, 1 through 19 on page 1065 in your pew Bibles. All right, it says, meanwhile, why while Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, they might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told that you must what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand to, into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a dis disciple named Ananias. The Lord called, him, called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Taurus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord answered, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you, you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. <clears throat> now, kind of like Paul, see, the difference between Paul and I was Paul was persecuting uh, Christians and murdering them and stuff, 
but he was doing what he felt was right. You know, he was, he was carrying out the duties of the church. Now, for me, unlike myself, everything I did in my life, I knew was wrong. But I chose to continue doing that in my life. It didn't matter to me. And the thing was, I didn't know Jesus either, you know. So I grew up in Connecticut. By the time I was in elementary school, I uh, pretty much did all drugs except for uh, heroin. Thing was, as a young kid, we stayed away from I stayed away from heroin because everybody who did, a, did heroin was dying of AIDS. You know, back in the late 80s like that, AIDS was a big thing. And uh, they were trying to blame it on homosexuals and stuff like that. But if you was caught up in the world of addiction, you seen who truly had the AIDS. It was all the IV drug users. So I stayed away from that for a little while. <laughs> um, in the summer of sixth grade, I got introduced to the Grateful Dead. And, uh, you know, and a whole bunch of other things, you know what I mean? So um, one thing I learned about following around with the dead was you can make a lot of money with this drug thing, you know? So anyway, uh, the first time I got arrested, I was in seventh grade for possession of marijuana. Um, and I skidded through them grades, you know, eighth, seventh, and eighth. I got off probation. I, I cut my hair. I went to a new school in a few towns over. I'm like, man, I'm going to change. I can't do this no more. The thing was, was what I tried to change was my appearance. You know, I had long hair. I figured if I cut my hair off, nobody will know it's me. I'll be a good person now. That didn't change nothing because the thing is, is everybody still knew me. I still had all the connections. So I get to ninth grade. I'm hanging out with all these old dudes. I'm selling drugs. I'm freaking out on LSD, and uh, one day I was driving to school, and I was smoking some marijuana, and I look over, and there's the principal. So I'm like, God, oh, man, whatever. You know, he didn't see me. So I get to school. I put my uh, smoking apparatus in my locker. They call me to the principal's office, and then uh, search my locker, so I got arrested again. I got arrested for possession of marijuana uh, and drug paraphernalia. But the difference is this time is I got caught with my mother's smoking apparatus. So not only did I get in trouble for getting caught with marijuana and stuff like that and bringing it to school, but I also got in trouble for stealing from my mom. So I think this was a blessing because I had to go live with my grandmother. And this was like my first and only introduction to Christ in my life. My grandmother was a very strong Christian woman. And she said, Jonathan, you don't have to live like this. She said, all you got to do is ask Jesus Christ into your heart, and he can remove this from you. You know, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, Grandma, you know. Can I get some 20 bucks? My friend's coming to pick me up, you know. So I did what I did, you know. I kept living the same life. I was in and out of so many broken relationships, man. I wrecked so many little girls' lives, man. Just anybody I came into contact, I destroyed their life. Plain and simple. You know, and the biggest lie I always told myself is I don't hurt nobody but myself. And the truth that I come to realize now is I hurt everybody but myself. I was the only one that wasn't feeling it. <laughs> so I got a garage. I got uh, my senior year, junior and senior year of high school, I started working in an auto mechanics garage. I was doing good, still partying like a madman, of course, but everybody in the garage did too, so I fit in perfect. Well, anyway, uh, I came to my senior year, 
I'm about to graduate. And he's like, hey, man, this is when they were making a transition over to computers into cars. So he's like, I, we want to send you to school and get you uh, certified, you know, so you can start doing the stuff with the computers. And I'm like, dude, you're crazy, man. I ain't doing that. I just got done with school. I ain't going back to school. I got it all figured out. I'm going to follow the Grateful Dead around. And I'm going to get rich selling drugs, bro. You're crazy, you know. <laughs> so... I graduated high school, and that was a mess because a bunch of people showed up to my graduation, and my mom freaked out. So at 17, I got thrown out of my house on top of it because my whole family showed up to my graduation party, and I never went. I took off with a bunch of dudes and partied. <laughs> so anyway, I go to my first Grateful Dead concert. Well, it's not my first concert, but my first concert after uh, I was starting my career. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I go to the first Dead show. And on the way home, uh, we kind of got into a high-speed pursuit, and things got out of control, and uh, ended up knocking a couple cops off the road or whatever happened. And uh, the thing was, is I was so flipped out in my mind, dude. The only reason why I got caught is because I was flipping out, like, man, what if these guys are hurt in a ditch somewhere, man, you know? So I went to the police station to check on them. <laughs> I walked in, and they said, there he is. <laughs> So it was over. Needless to say, I went to jail the first time. I was about 18, 19. And uh, that's when I got introduced to doing heroin a new way. When I was in prison, uh, I found out that you just didn't have to use it IV, you know, intravenously. So I did that for a couple years in jail. I got out. I was dope sick. And then when I got out, I was out on parole. But I couldn't go to parole because I had a dirty urine, so I just ran. <laughs> I think I came here, to tell you the truth. Every time I was in trouble and had warrants and on a run, I came here. They'd never find me up here, you know? So <laughs> I ended up getting caught, going back to jail. But the thing is, when I was out, out this time, it was different. It was no more just peace, love, and happiness, you know, marijuana and alcohol and minor cocaine usage. People were flipping out on this new stuff called crack, man. Everybody was strung out on crack and doing heroin. So when I went to back to jail, I hooked up with all these crack and heroin connections. You know, one thing about prison, it can really help your life. There's tons of options in there to better your life, but then there's tons of opportunities to worsen your life if you want. But in my eyes, it wasn't worsening it. It was giving business opportunities, you know? So I hooked up with all these connections. I get out, I'm going crazy. I'm in and out of jail. And uh, I ended up meeting this girl, and uh, she was pretty cool. I went to jail, and she didn't cheat on me the whole time I was in there, sending me money and stuff. So I was like, man, that's a good girl, you know? She says, hey, I want to get married. I'm like, all right, you deserve it. You know, she didn't cheat on me, but I cheated on her all the time. But anyway, so we get together, and uh, at first it was a perfect combination. She loves spending money, and I love making money. So, but... The thing was, was uh, I decided one day, I don't know what happened, but I was like, man, I'm wasting all this money, so I had to quit drinking. I quit drinking, and she didn't want to quit drinking, and then uh, I started to try to take my life back over. Like, all the money I was making is my money, you know? This ain't her money. And uh, so anyway, that relationship started to crumble. I go back to jail, she wants a divorce, I get out, we stay together, go back, she wants a divorce, we stay together. Finally, I'm like, dude, it's over, we gotta get divorced, we get divorced. Then uh, I was in jail, she said, oh, I'm pregnant, 
So I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, so uh, my son Nathan was born um, 2004, November 15th, 2004. You know, now mind you, I'm still in the thought of I'm not hurting nobody but myself. So the first time she brings my son to see me, I'm in prison. I get out of jail. I'm doing good. I'm not going to do drugs no more. I'm just going to sell them. And that don't work. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm going crazy selling drugs. You know, me and my wife got divorced. So I'm going all nuts with uh, sexual immorality again. And uh, then one day she said, hey, I'm going to need you to babysit Nathan. And I'm like, dude, I ain't got time to babysit him. You know, like that was a chore to me. To be a father to my child was a chore. So uh, I took off to go partying with a couple of girls, and uh, I ended up back in jail, and uh, she moved some dude into my house. This time when I was in jail, I'm like, dude, I'm going to do this. I had enough of this, man. I didn't do no drugs in jail. I mean, I, I smoked cigarettes, but that's illegal in jail, too, but I, I did that. I didn't do no drugs, though. I took some parenting classes, took some anger management classes, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to do this, you know? So I get out, I start doing the right thing. I'm picking my kid up every day. Everything's going good. Then one day, I pull up to pick him up, man, and uh, he, there was a big picture window in the house I used to live in. She, she took my house, of course, but so... Uh, he wasn't in the window, man. So I go, I'm knocking on the door, banging on the door. I'm calling her, no answer, nothing. So I'm like, dude, I had to go to work. I go to work. I didn't hear nothing all day. I go back the next day. Now I'm an idiot. I pull in the driveway. I'm being obnoxious, doing burnouts, banging on the door, freaking out. Dude, what's going on? She comes out freaking, dude, get out of here. I'll call the cops on you. Don't come around here. <laughs> so I knew something was wrong. I went and picked up my friend down the city. And I said, Chris, man, you got to go to my house. Something's wrong. So he goes to my house. He knocks on the door. And Nathan's laying on the floor. Somebody smacked him in the head and gave him brain hemorrhages. And they left him laying on the floor for two days. They rushed him to Hartford Children's Hospital. And uh, he ended up dying. Uh, he died no, November 6th. 2007, like uh, a couple weeks before his third birthday. So I went crazy, man. I went crazy. I started doing drugs, IV. I wouldn't do no drugs unless I could get them in my arm, you know. So anyway, I went cr crazy for a few more years. And then uh, in December of 2011, I woke up one day and I'm sitting on my back porch. I just fixed myself with heroin. Sitting on the back porch, I take a big hit of uh, crack, and then I take a drag off this cigar, and I said, <coughs> and I spit this puddle of blood like you wouldn't even imagine. And I'm like, man, I looked at these cigars, I said, man, these things are killing me, so I threw them down. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so this is going on for a couple days, and my friend's like, man, I think you got walking pneumonia, dude. You got to go to the hospital. So I'm like, all right. So uh, up to this point, I overdosed, uh, I overdosed 12 times, and I stroked out on cocaine twice, and I was in uh, uh, seven comas. So when you go to the hospital, I've been caught using drugs in the hospital. I've been caught selling drugs in the hospital. So when I go to the hospital, I'm a drug addict. I'm not a person to them, you know? 
So I go in there, and I'm like, dude, I think I got walking pneumonia. They're like, all right, search me, take my stuff. I go in there. They start treating me for walking pneumonia. Then my ex-girlfriend's bringing me in drugs because I still got to pay the bills, you know what I mean? So they're medicating me. They know I'm a junkie, so they're medicating me so I don't get sick. I'm still doing heroin, and then I'm, sit I'm sitting in the bathroom one day, and, and I was like, dude, this is crazy, man. I'm dying from one thing. I'm killing myself with another. I'm like, dude, I can't. This is nuts. So when my ex-girlfriend came in, I'm like, dude, man, I got to go to rehab. I said, this ain't normal. I said, you don't do this. And she freaked. She's like, are you crazy? You can't go to rehab. Christmas is coming. The bills are due. What are you talking? You can't. Ah. So I was like, you're right. So I signed myself out of the hospital. And then... I now know Jesus Christ just immediately just started calling me, man. I started waking up, having panic attacks, freaking out. I got to get out of here, you know. So I called my one and only sober friend here in Jamestown. I'm like, dude, he's like, I got to get out of here, man. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, well, who'd you rob? What'd you, who'd you, you know, were the cops looking for you? I'm like, nah, dude, it's crazy. This is the first time I'm legal since I was 12 years old. I'm 38 years old back then. I was 38 years old, and it's like, I'm legal. I can do whatever I want now, and, and I got to get sober, you know? So he's like, all right, December, uh, my brother-in-law is coming up on the 26th. Jump in with him. So I take a ride up here. It took me about, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 days to get over all the withdrawals because I did every drug you can imagine, man. It was a mess. So uh, my first day out, he's like, dude, you got to go get some. He's like, you look like you're dying, man. Go get a job. <laughs> I'm like, all right. So I go apply for a job. And I, I only had, when I got here, I was wearing a pair of shorts, had a sweatshirt, and uh, five pairs of sneakers. And I step out of the car, poof, into snow up to my knees, man. I'm like, what the heck, you know? So he's like, go to Helping Hands, and they'll hook you up. So I go to Helping Hands, and I'm all like, oh, freezing, hurting. I'm like, dude, somebody help me, please. I'm a junkie from Connecticut. So this lady comes waddling out of her office and said, what did you just say? I said, I'm a junkie. I need help. And uh, I was Pastor Amy Roller. She was uh, pregnant with her first son. And uh, she says, I'll tell you what. She's like, well, what are you doing here? I said, I need some clothes, man. She's like, I'll give you a $30 voucher right now for clothes. But you go to this meeting at 1230, and the, you'll get the, the real gift will be there. So I go back to this meeting, you know, and uh, I walk into this meeting. All I see is Bibles everywhere, right? I'm like, dude, this lady's nuts. I'm out of here, you know? So I turn around to leave, and it sounded like my grandmother was still alive in my ear saying, Jonathan, all you got to do is accept Jesus Christ into your heart, and he can remove this from you. So I turn around, and everybody's happy, dude. They're happy. They're talking. They're praising Jesus. So I'm like, I'm going to hang out, man, for a minute. Uh-oh. So uh, I'm like, so I'm going to hang out, you know. And then they welcomed me back and brought me back up here. Now, the difference between, there's millions of differences between me and Paul. There's no way I'm a Paul, you know what I mean? But the one thing is, is when I went um, to this meeting, they brought me back to the first house, and it was like six years ago around this time was the first time I walked into this church. And the thing is, is this church is my Ananias. You know what I mean? There was people that were 
willing to help me and like, oh, man, we got to help this guy out. But then there was also people like, oh, I don't know, think about what he's been through and stuff like that, you know. But luckily, the, the, the love that Jesus Christ showed you guys, you guys showered on to me, you know. So uh, the first, uh, first year was rocky, as you guys all know, most of you know. Um, I was at the first house, and they said, man, something's wrong with you. Honestly, everybody still thought I was doing on drugs. I like to ask all you who thought I was on drugs. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, you know, and then finally my buddy Ben said, dude, listen, are you using drugs? I'm like, no. He's like, well, if you're not using drugs, we got to take you to the hospital. But if you're using drugs, we don't want to take you to the hospital because they'll put you in rehab, but we feel you need Jesus Christ, not rehab. So they bring me to the hospital, man. They're doing all these tests on me, you know. And then, uh, like, I think I was in there for, like, 8 to 10 hours. They sent me home. Said they are going to call me Monday. Well, Saturday morning, we get a phone call at, like, 6.30 or 7 or something. And they're like, yo, uh, they're like, yo, dude. Well, they didn't say dude, but they're like, is Mr. Bogue there? They're like, something's drastically wrong. You got to come down to the hospital. I'm like, all right, well, we do a Bible studies at 9, so I'll be there, like, around 10, you know? And they're like, no, you don't understand. Something's wrong. If you don't have a ride, we'll send an ambulance. So I go wake up, Ben. I'm like, dude, I got to go to the hospital, man. They take me to the hospital. Immediately, they're waiting for me. start pumping me full of antibiotics. They come out with the, the thing for pregnant ladies. You know, they look at the baby. <laughs> ultrasound. They come out with an ultrasound. <laughs> And they do an ultrasound in my heart, and I had what was called endocarditis. It was a bacteria that grows on the valves of your heart from IV drug use. It was 7.7 uh, centimeters. So he says, we got to brush you to Buffalo and crack your chest open. I'm like, dude, the first thought I got was like, whoa, this is nuts, man. I'm like, I can't die without getting high again. That was my first initial thought. I can't take the chance of going to Buffalo and dying and never get high again. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I got to get a second opinion, Doc. So I got to call my buddy Clinton up, you know. <laughs> so my buddy Clinton comes and we're freaking out and we're crying. And uh, I just got this overwhelming, like, weight come upon me and just got comforted and was like... I got this, you know? So I went to Buffalo, and I was like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to Buffalo, man. So I did three months in Buffalo. They dealt with it with medicine. I denied the operation at first, treat me with medicine. Got out. I lied to everybody. Said, dude, I'm cured. I can go to the YMCA. I can do this. But I wasn't. I was supposed to be bedridden. <laughs> so a couple days at the Y, a piece broke off and shot into my lungs. And I got hospitalized again, but it, that was a miracle because the thing was, then they found out not only did I have endocarditis, I had seven blood clots in my lung, I had cirrhosis of the liver, uh, hepatitis C, and pulmonary infarction, which is I had a, a heart attack that went undetected, so I lost a quarter of my lung. But other than that, everything was pretty good, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so I get out of the hospital, and um, I'm still half-heartedly walking with the Lord. Now I got all these pain pills and stuff, so I'm, like, dibble-dabbling with my medicine, abusing it. And then uh, in June of Dece early December of 
2012, they finally rushed me to Buffalo, and they cracked my chest open. Um, and that's kind of when I half-heartedly accepted the Lord because my low point, see, living in abandoned buildings and tents and cars, and then at times I was living in condominiums and crazy apartments and houses. So all them low points aren't low points. My low point was being alone in the hospital. That was my rock bottom, being alone. My family's eight hours away. All of you are two hours away. I was alone for the first time in my life, so I half-heartedly accepted Jesus, you know? So anyway, I get open-heart surgery. I move into these wonderful people, Chuck and Sandy's house. No pain medicine, and believe me, when they cut your sternum in half, it hurts. So uh, I get my staples out, and I'm like chairing meetings. I'm doing great. I'm doing good. I'm like, you know what? I deserve to celebrate. So I go out and I shoot three bags of dope and boom, put myself in a coma. Matter of fact, that's like two weeks away, that anniversary. So uh, yeah, that happened February 2013. I went in a coma again. I was in a coma for five days. I had 96% chance of being in a vegetative state and like an 82 or 86% chance of dying because they couldn't give me the uh, clear things. They couldn't give me... Uh, CPR because they just cracked my chest open. They couldn't give me Narcan because I just had a valve sewed in my heart. So it was just the blessing and a miracle of God that I lived. And uh, I got out. I went and smoked a bunch of crack because I was freaking out. This ain't a relapse. And then uh, I woke up that Monday morning and uh, I was in bed with an ex-girlfriend from Connecticut. And it was like, oh, no, I thought it was all a dream. I thought getting sober, all of you. I thought everything was a dream, so I just assumed the fetal position and waited to be dope sick, you know? I didn't get dope sick, and I was looking around. I was like, wait a minute, dude. I'm in New York, so I just praised God, and I dropped to my knees, and I truly wholeheartedly asked him into my life to be my savior, to teach me how to live, show me how to live, you know? And... uh that's when it began. The transformation began. I'm like, show me what to do. The first thing that came to my mind was like, get rid of this chick, man. You got to get her out of here, you know? So, as a matter of fact, I called up the church and said, hey, I need some money. They're like, are you crazy? I'm like, no. I'm like, no, it's to get her home. And they willingly helped me out. We got her home. And, uh... I just turned my life over to Christ, and I started walking with him and, and actually reading my Bible for me, not just reading it to say, oh, yeah, I read this in my Bible. I started to live for the Lord 100% the best I could, you know, and then uh, he just started blessing me, blessing me. I took a, like Pastor Rick said, you got to lock us up for like a year or two. Well, I got locked up for like a year. I just backed off of everything, no chairing meetings, no doing nothing. I got very selfish with my relationship with Christ. And then, uh, oh, I forgot. When I woke up from that coma, it was when my shells fell out. You know what I mean? When I woke up that Monday morning, the shells were gone. I was no longer blind. I could see. I could see exactly what God wanted me to do. Just die 100% to myself, you know, and just worship him and love him. So, uh, so the last uh, February 15th will be five years sober for me, but the last... Um, four years have just been a total blessing. I, I first got hired at Mission Meadows. I worked there for about three years serving the Lord, Mark Iversky. And uh, then I, I had this big idea to start a ministry, but I got called to another job. So I had to put God off for a minute. And oh my gosh, was that one of the hardest years we went through? I was married. 
But when I pushed off God to take this job to make more money, we felt it in our marriage. I felt it in everything I did. If the Lord calls and, and we push him away, oh, my gosh, just don't do it, man. If you think the Lord's calling you, act on it because, man, that stinks if you don't. So anyway, then I get this other opportunity. Pastor Dan came up to me and says, John, how would you like to come work for Impact? I'm like, all right, dude. I'm like, I'll do it on my lunch hour. So I'm taking off at lunch, going to talk in schools and stuff, and it was just too much on me. When you're pouring out to kids and you're sharing the word of Christ and sharing your testimony and loving on these kids, I go back to work and I just couldn't do it. So Pastor Dan says, well, listen, we got a couple bucks. We could probably pay you about $400 a month if you're willing to come on board. And uh, at the time, I was making a lot more than that. And I talked it over with my wife, and we prayed on it, and we prayed on it, and we prayed on it. And I took a leap of faith, and I quit my job for $400 a month. But the Lord blessed that, and, and he provided for us so wonderfully. And then I had to do this other thing that he forgot to tell me. I had to raise my own support. And that's like a bigger job than all of it, you know what I mean? So, and, and he's like, John, you got to just raise your support. And then I started asking, and that's how I could truly tell the Lord wanted me to do that. Because the first month, we went up to $600. Then the second month, $800. Then a few months after that, I was up to $1,000. And now a year and a half, two years later, I make $1,200 a month working for Impact. And uh, I also now serve the Lord at the Yukon uh, City Mission. My buddy Scott Linden back there. My boss. My mentor six years ago. Now he's my boss. Tell me God don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I just serve the Lord now the best I can. And, uh, you know, I'm just so thankful for you guys never giving up on me. You know, and I just want to share with everybody, just because my life was sc so screwed up and tragic, the Lord will be with you as long as you rely on the Lord. You don't got to be a junkie in order for him to have a perform a miracle in your life. It could be the simplest little thing, man, like struggling for a test in school, you know, waking up and not because your arthritis can't tie your shoes. You just got to 100% rely on Jesus, and he can remove any issues we have, man. And, uh, oh, one other thing, um, I still have to raise my support for impact, so if anybody's interested... <laughs> We have a table set up out there with some envelopes, and uh, I don't know. Thank you guys very much. Uh, I'm just going to pray real quick. I'm over. Probably fired. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, thank you for blessing us with the patience to just wait for your timing, Lord, because we know, and I know for me, it's hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, Lord, but just trusting in you and slowing down and being still and knowing you're, you are God. Things can only work out through you, Lord, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the blessing of all these people into my life, Lord, and hopefully I'm a blessing into theirs. Lord Jesus, we just love you and praise you through your spirit and your name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.